Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdain Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Erevin, daf pei hey, page 85. Yerdina, we were going to tell people about the siyum before we get into things today. Yeah, so with the, today's episode, we're also going to have a post on our Facebook page uh, with, you know, our siyum sign-up. Uh, this is just a way so we can collect everybody's emails. And then a few days prior to the CM, you'll get the Zoom link. Uh, we also want to make our official call out, uh, as you all know, or if you have not participated in one of our CMs before, this is an opportunity for our community of learners to share something that inspired them, troubled them, was difficult for them, uh, or raised a new point or issue uh, on from Masachat Ravine. So we would love to hear from you. We know that this may have been a little bit of heavy for people just in terms of getting through it but we know people must have some great insights to share so please fill out uh the form for the sam and we can't wait to celebrate our completion of masachet uh a ravine together and to begin masachet sachem together afterwards woohoo okay it's really very exciting the progress, right? That's that's the big advantage of Daf Yomi, that you see the progress as the pages go by. Even if not every Daf is is learned, you know, completely thoroughly, it it it's still, you know, we're covering ground in a serious at a serious clip and in a serious way. Okay, so here we are on Pehe Ahmed Aleph at the very bottom of it because we're really going to jump into Ahmedbeth. But the case here is as follows. We've got a story about Rav, okay? Now, Rav Nachman, the Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Rabba Bar Avuha, Amar Rav, what's the case? Shnei Batim Vishalosh Chorvot Binehem. We have two homes, and there's three ruins, right? Meaning three, I guess, dilapidated ruins of homes in between them, okay? And then, Zemish Tamesh Besamuch Shaloh, Al Yedez Rika, Zemish Tamesh Besamuch Shaloh, Al Yedez Rika. So, each one is going to be closer. Let's say literally, right? You have A is the home of, is, is a home. B, C, and D are ruins. And then E is another home. So A gets to throw stuff into B, right? That's the ruin that's closest to him. And E gets to throw stuff into the D ruin, right? Because that's the one that's closest to him. And the Gemara says, And neither of them is allowed to use that middle ruin. Now, one of the things that really struck me on this death is that there's, you know, the Gemara, um, there are Rishonim who went through the Gemara and indicated halacha, like what's going to, what does our death, uh, how does it track into the books of halacha? And it happens to be that in the Shulchan Aruch, the claim here is that the Shulchan Aruch in Arachayim, uh, you know, it says that, in fact, they are allowed to use, that the middle one is permitted to both of them. So I find that very interesting because it's somewhere between this very straightforward Gemara that says, Emtsa'i Asur, and the Shulchan Aruch, which is admittedly hundreds of years later, um, there's a psaq that says that it is mutar. So part of that, of course, is, is going to be discussed and found on our daf. Yativ Rav Bruna v'ka'amar l'ha shmaita. So Rav Bruna says that he heard this halacha in the name of Rav. And then Amrle Rabbi Eliezer Bar Bey Rav. Now you'll remember Rabbi Eliezer, who he's the one who went and confronted. Your date, I'm blanking on who he went and confronted, he but confronted you'll all remember. Shmuel last time. 
You're right. He confronted Shmuel. Now remember, Rav and Shmuel are themselves Bar Plukta, meaning these are the authorities. They are big But it's time also interesting because Rav and Shmuel did not live in the same city. Remember, Rav is the Rosh Hashiva in Surah, and Shmuel's the Rosh Hashiva in Nahardah. So there's something about this story that's even more interesting when you think about the previous story, because where did he live, Rabiel? Like that he's running back and forth from these two different yeshivas. Yeah, but I can accept that he learned, you know, he learned a good amount of time under one and he wanted to go learn under the other, right? They had different specialties and they were both big experts, right? But but what's interesting, of course, is that Rabbi Lazar does not change his personality, right? He says, what do you mean? That's what he said, right? Did he really say that? Right? And we even talked about how in is a tricky word because it means yes, but it's spelled the same way as the word ain, which means no. And he goes to his house. Right? He's going to go and ask. He says, show me the place of where he lives and I will go and ask him myself. So he shows him. And then Rebbe Lezer comes before Rav. Did, he, did you? Right? Again, he's speaking respectfully in that third person way. Did you really say this? And Rav says, yes, yes, I did. Meaning Rav drew the distinction between the ruins that were next to each of the homes and the one that was in the middle and that each of them could make use of it, you know, in one way or another by throwing stuff out of their homes and into that ruin. Right. I, I don't know if that means that it becomes, you know, I think of kitchen middens, right? Like, is, were they using it as a garbage dump or were they using it for some other purpose? Um, but again, we're talking here really specifically about Shabbos. So Rabbi Lezer says to Rav, Amar v'hamar hu amar Asurin says, you're saying you can't use the middle ruin, but so does that mean that somebody who is, is that one who makes it prohibited, right? Is that because of the Zrika? Is it because of something going through the air that they're taking possession, as it were, right? Through the Zrika, through the process of throwing stuff into the adjacent ruin, right? And then, so then the question is, what, is it just because the one that's closer is more convenient? So then, and that's where this text comes in. Isn't it the master, Mar, meaning Rav himself, who said that when you come to a place that is can be used by the people who live in one courtyard, and they're going to be lowering that object down into it. Yardina, these are the commands that you were talking about the other day, right? You'd look and lower the objects into it, and then the residents of the other courtyard can only throw, right, because they're up above, right? And then neither of them really has a convenient way to access that ground right and then in that case both sets are prohibited from using it but then and we said specifically and you did i remember you saying this that lowering something down is obviously you know an easier process than trying to throw something up into the air to get caught right or to get captured by the location amar lay so rough says to him misa kshura why do you think we're de- dealing with the case that I just spelled out, right? A, B, C, D, E, everything just straight out in a line. Really, we're talking about something that's lined up in a, tri- in a triangle. And then what's the middle and what's the end? And everything has a very different kind of setup, right? And this is how the Gemara eventually leads us to the conclusion that, in fact, um, when it comes time to Paskin, that we can say, um, in fact, that both of them were able to use the middle the middle ruin. Again, for Zrika, right? They're disposing of things there somehow. 
Of course, what I found fascinating here is this repetition of Reb Lezer, who is, he doesn't like the logic of it, and his, and his impetus is to then, you know, he's going to jump up and go confront the authority. And again, he is not of the same, he is not considered in the same hierarchy, let's say, neither Shmuel from before, nor Rav. And it's interesting that he's, he's very driven, right? He's very concerned about the logic here. And he's going to take himself to the horse's mouth again, so to speak, to make sure that he, A, he really understands it, and B, so that he can then question it. And this time, right, you'll, you may recall that Shmuel at some point didn't really have a good answer for him. But Rav's answer here is, like, he doesn't say it this way, but it's essentially, you fool, why did you think that everything was just in a straight line? Meaning, think out of the box, think a little more creatively, and you understand better what I was talking about and what my concerns were. And this may be part of the indication of just why Rav was just con was considered just so great, right? Because he, in fact, did that. He did not just think in a straight line. Yeah, I again, when I saw this parallel in the story of, you know, from what we saw earlier, I just was like, oh, wow, he really tries to go after the source. Um, and it just was great to see also that, you know, this time it was Rav as opposed to Shmuel. I'm still stuck a little bit on the distance piece. Um, you know, I'd like to know where he lived, but whatever. That that part of it was interesting to me as well. Um, I'm going to jump down now to the Mishnah. And then I want to share one little piece of the Gemara there. So the Mishnah reads as follows. And I'm going to so this gets into a very interesting piece of Erev, right? It's where do you put the actual Erev itself? And this is for the Erev Chatzeros. And we know that you have to put the Erev Chatzeros in one of the houses, right? So the idea is that there's multiple houses, right? Three houses to two courtyards, and the at least. And you have to leave the Erev in one of the houses. So this mission is basically saying, you know, two pieces of this, or it's really the same idea. If you have a structure that I guess is also that is on one of the courtyards, that's not a typical residence, right? So something that's a gatehouse or a portico usually functions more as, let's say, a passageway. You, that's not an appropriate place to put the Arab, right? Because it's not really a house. It's not a place of residence. But the reverse of that is, which makes sense is, is that let's say somebody does actually live there, right? Someone for whatever reason is living in uh, a gatehouse, right? They can't sort of ding the rest of everybody else if they choose not if they didn't participate in the Arab they're not considered to be a full-fledged resident of that courtyard and therefore they don't need to even participate in the Arab itself um but now it's interesting what it says so what i didn't understand and maybe the gemara will explain will discuss this although it did not come out at least on this step is can they participate right what they're really saying here is the resident of any of these structures, these sort of non-residential structures, doesn't have to participate, right? A no oser. But to me, the question I do want to see explored is if they wanted to participate, could they participate? So we'll table that as a question for later on. But a hay shed or a cow shed or a woodshed or a storehouse, storehouse. And again, it's interesting. These are called a bayat. So I guess this shows you that this was they were used in a different way right and that's actually you know on the property um they this is a place where you could put an arab and a resident of these places 
can actually invalidate the Arab if they don't participate. Um, but if the om, if the homeowner, in other words, somebody who owned one of the houses, okay, has this hay shed or other or one of these other places and has rights of usage. In other words, the idea, I guess, would be maybe a child or a renter or a friend, like somebody's borrowing the cow shed, let's say, you know, or an employee lives in there. But the homeowner has rights to it. In other words, one of the house owners who shares the chutzar can go there at any time, right? Then a no oser. Then it doesn't, whoever lives there, okay, that can't actually render it prohibitive because the homeowner, right, it really has rights to it. And it's considered to be the homeowner's quarters. And they participated in the Arab on behalf of their house. But it also would include, uh, you know, this, you know, Beit HaTeven or Beit HaBakar or whatever, so very, very interesting Mishnah that I think takes into account, you know, that there can be on a property different types of sort of structures that are not a typical house that somebody could or could not live in. Um, and then the Gemara sort of gets into a discussion of, you know, that first category of the Beit Hashar, the portico, the gatehouse, that those may be more like passageways. But I want to skip down to an interesting statement that's here, which is the following case that Rav Yehuda shares. So this is an interesting case here. And it made me think about that story about Rav Oshia's uh, daughter, you know, uh, his wife and the daughter-in-law, right? Let's say a group of people are dining together on Arab Shabbat. And all of a sudden, it became dark, and it became Shabbat, basically, right? right? And so what do they decide to do? They obviously had not established an Erev before. They can take the bread that's on the table, and they can basically say, that's the Erev. And some people say, no, this is only for not an Erev Chatzeros, it's for a sheet of my boy. It's for the merging of the alleyways, not for the Erev Chatzeros. Now, I found this to be fascinating because it's clear that it's sort of like what this halacha, whether you'd say for the Erev Chatzeros or for the sheets of Mavoy, is basically allowing sort of a quick correction for something that didn't get taken care of before Shabbat. And when you think about that story with the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, that was an Erev Tehumim, right? There, Rav Chia said, no, that wasn't a good solution, what she did, that she sort of made the Erev on behalf of her daughter-in-law. Now, again, there they said the reason was because she hadn't really conferred possession of the Arab for her daughter-in-law. Here, I guess, all the people who would be involved in the Arab are sitting together. So they're sort of all partaking. They're sharing a meal together. So the shared loaf of bread is allowed to become uh, their Arab. But an interesting case uh, that we hadn't seen, that I actually was kind of surprised we hadn't seen brought up yet, um, but but did get uh, brought, you know, brought here. And then Rabba goes on to say, you know, I'm a rabbi. So Rabbi, you know, here says that these versions about whether or not bread can count as an Arab for the sheets of Mavoy, because remember we said before that maybe that was only for the Arab Chatzeros. This was mentioned on a previous staff. Doesn't disagree here because here, right, we're talking about what you can use an Arab is in a case where they're dining in a house together, right? And so the food that is in the house can be used as an Arab for the courtyard. But they're obviously following the first, um, interpret, you know, what Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of uh, Shmuel, not this Ve'im Rila Mishum Shitzuf, 
Whereas there, where we said it was Asur, is referring to where they were dining in the courtyard, right? And so, um, you know, so this is how he explains the second situation, this, the Ve'imri, right? They were dining in a courtyard, and so therefore the bread that's on the table could only be for the Shituf Mavoy. So an interesting interpretation of Rabbah also of how he explains that you could have one version that's Erev Chatzeros and one version that is for the Shituf, um, uh, that is for the Shituf Mavoy. Um, and then Abaye comes to Rabbah and brings a brisa that supports all of this. Um, uh, so just a very, very interesting case, right? What do you do if you're sort of caught, you know, Shabbat just comes of, of, upon you. Now, again, I don't know who would be sitting down to a big meal, Erev Shabbat, but, you know, this could have happened with a Sudas Mitzvah, right? People very often used to get married on a Friday um, or things like that. And you quickly have to figure out. So if there's shared food on the table, depending if you're in a house or if you're in a courtyard, in a house, you can rely on that food, that bread to be for your Erev Chatzeros. And if you're in a courtyard for the sheets of Mavoy. So uh, one of the things I found interesting about all of this is that it seems to be touching on each different element of the kinds of things that are concerns or or issues in the context of Eruvs, right? So we, we start off with the kind of house, right? Like that gatehouse, which made me think of the, what's his name? Ivud Barihi. Right, that he lives like in a place that's not really just a house, right? And so now already we've got an interesting conundrum, but we're gonna like, you know, pile on top of that. Here we've got people who are eating, meaning so that the air of the food of the air of is not the usual food of the air of that we might have. If you set it aside, you know, not from a meal, but as a thing that is purely being designated for the air of. And then, right, then this case of the Shituf Mavot, right, so that you end up with, like, each element of it, um, you know, is part of this scenario in an, in a, I don't know, uh, an off-the-beaten-track kind of way. And I, I said this once before, that I think that this is, like, as Erevin kind of teaches us of its principles and teaches of, teaches us of its cases and then kind of spirals back through you know, these different kinds of, you know, exceptions and, and weird cases or unusual cases. And, and each time we build on it. And here I feel like, you know, there it is, all of it together, go build on this unusual case and see that lo and behold, you still can make an air of like, basically, no matter what your circumstance are, circumstances are, as long as you kind of, as long as you set it up, as long as you're there with intent, and you have some kind of food, and you can work out the property, right? Meaning, it tells us how to do all those different kinds of things to make sure that we're set for Shabbos. Exactly. So there's something very practical about this example. Um, and you could see how this absolutely could happen. So I, I love this example. We're going to leave our Mishnah with a hanging question, which I hope gets answered, you know, later on, which again is, could that person participate if they wanted the person who lives in the Beit Hashar or, you know, because that's how I kind of read that language of the Mishnah, which I don't think is such a stretch. Um, and also just to remind everybody to please be on the lookout today uh, for our information about RCM. So I guess we'll conclude with that. That's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the story with Rabbi Eliezer, our new Mishnah, uh, making an air of uh, when Shabbat already starts on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.